Hi everyone, uh, this is Majid again. Uh, this is our fourth podcast and the topic of the day is um, sustainable development. Um, and uh, we do have a, a guest speaker today who I will ask to introduce herself shortly. Um, so in the meantime, as I said, uh, this is Majid. And uh, next to me I have... Tara. Uh, Andrew. And our guest speaker. Uh, I'm Janet, uh, MA student for political communication in Gosworth. Thank you very much for being here today, Janet. Um, we have um, we have been here for the last few weeks, uh, and each week I think has been very interesting. And um, I know I'm very excited to have you here today. And I'm sure that like Andrew here is bursting with questions, so he will have his moment. Um, but Janet will sort of discuss um, Hong Kong and mainland China, and kind of discuss a bit about um, Hong Kong and the effects of development um, on Hong Kong as a result of what's happening in China and also give us a bit more insight into development and what's happening within China and the mainland itself. So without further ado, I will pass it over to Janet. So Janet, uh, when you're ready, um, please, please start. Okay, thank you. Uh, in Hong Kong, there is a big uh, debate about the land use. It's called the uh, land debate, <laughs> literally, uh, is uh, initiated by the government because Hong Kong has uh, continuously, for the seventh year, voted as the most unaffordable uh, housing area that literally one individual has to save up 19 years of or his income without eating, spending anything to afford just a, a shelter for him to live. So uh, government used this kind of as an excuse to push uh, Hong Kong to make a man-made island in the middle of nowhere that costs one trillion Hong Kong dollars. But that is totally not what Hong Kong people is expected because Hong Kong is in a typhoon area. Then everything you put inside the sea, it will wash away, literally. So it seems like a uh, very problematic suggestions in terms of development and we highly doubt whether it's really for the own goods of Hong Kong people to solve the short-term uh, residential problem. But uh, if you look deeper inside all this uh, political agenda, literally today, uh, the newspaper from uh, Beijing, the column, uh, comment exactly for this project and say Hong Kong people should support this man-made island. It's for Hong Kong's own good. Whoever Hong Kong people doesn't support this project is unpatriotic. So you feel it's nothing to do with development or land justice or solving the housing problem. Then you can't keep asking why, why China government is pushing this project so hard. So uh, in my point of view, I look around the project that the China government is trying to do, the one belt and road that involves with a lot of uh, African countries and also Eastern Europe and, and some area that is not so peaceful. And also the Greater Bay Area in uh, Southern China, Southern Asia, they try to expand their influence and power uh, in a very ge uh, geographical, political term. But it seems a lot of country back down. Um, they don't want to have so high domestic debt because of the Belt Road project. But Chinese government already invests billions of dollars for those projects. So they have a serious domestic debt problem themselves within mainland China. 
So you see a lot of uh, a series of events happen uh, from 2018 that Hollywood actress funding being disappeared for three months with no reason, and all her contracts just up in the air. And then suddenly she came out and said, "Oh, I escaped from the taxation so much. I owe the country so much. So she、uh, have to promise to pay a lot of money back to the China government." And you see a lot of other、uh, fallout of microeconomics. It's like the middle class;、uh, they invest too much on the liquidity or property market, and they can't claim back those bad debts. And how the China government is unable to solve because China is such a big country, so they have to find money. Hong Kong is so small, but we have top five foreign reserve among the world. So let's. Make Hong Kong as an ATM machine, <laughs> then we can cash everything in the、um, package or cover cover of infrastructure. Let's make Hong Kong to build a many island that costs one trillion, that determined to be failed by typhoon and weather, so they can remake it again and again until our foreign reserve ran out. So that's what,、uh, in general, people from Hong Kong have of.、Uh, Strong feeling against this man-made island thing because it's not solving our local problem, but apparently it's tied to our foreign reserve. So, if our reserves run out,、um, uh, what can we do about our social policy advocacy and projects? We have no citizen pension. We don't have free medical service like NHS, and we don't have universal suffrage. We 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 can't have our rights to vote for leaders around our our area. So the inferior position is that Hong Kong citizens before、uh, handover to China and after handover to China, we have no say about our public affairs. So that's the problem behind the so-called development、uh, development projects and so on and, and forth. But that's what worries Hong Kong people so much. You know the bridge. Yes, finished. Yes. What, you, what like? What's the kind of Hong Kong take on the bridge and like?、Uh, right from the start,、uh, back in two thousand eight, people against this bridge because it's so useless and because. You you have to spend two weeks to、uh, apply for the permits, but it lasts so short, and you can't continuously use it. And the time、uh, for using the bridge is even more time consuming than going whatever wherever the bridge passes through.、Uh, it's it's slower than you travel by ferry. So. It's more expensive. It's slower, and it costs you a lot to maintenance. So、uh, after the bridge is open and Xi Jinping is there to、uh, do the inauguration thing ceremony, but uh, after uh, the ceremony, it's under usage. It's people、uh, because the maintenance is so costly. They just open for a few hours. So what's the point?、Yeah. The the whole thing is that is already a very bad example. It's like a white elephant in the room in our territory that we have to cost so much to maintain it. But is solely or seventy percent the maintenance money? It came from Hong Kong, but not all other administrative region. So you keep asking question why we have to pay so much and get back so little. 
and so many deaths. So what's the point? Because it just seems like your island, the bridge, all of these things are just... And the high-speed railway that is most pricey high-speed railway that once so slow is not (laughs) high-speed. And it's always under usage. Uh, They have the estimated customer or travelers uh, on daily basis is like 30,000 per day. But literally, it turns out not even 3,000 people are using that. And the government official is saying, oh, uh, it takes time. Time will tell. And the time already told us. It's it's a case of, yeah. Yeah. It's quite interesting to actually have you um, to this uh, podcast because these are some of the things that we try and question within our, you know, sort of study, but also new ways of looking at sustainable development. Um, One of the things that we discussed is that sustainable development requires freedom and it requires human rights as well. And judging from what you are telling us, you know, Hong Kong is not getting that sort of freedom and that aspect of human rights in order to to act independently. Uh, My my question to you is uh, why is China got so much influence over Hong Kong and uh, what are the people in Hong Kong actually doing about this? Because this uh, Sino-British Joint Declaration being signed in the year 1984, so it's like a big social contract. It literally registered in the United Nations that both countries shall ensure Hong Kong can maintain its own system and human rights and whatever citizens' rights they claimed during the colonial period. This is very ironic. Hong Kong is literally the last colony in the world, but we whip off our rights to go independent because of China. So we cannot be independent. So now what? So the country, both country, uh, British government and the China government came to a deal, which is called the Sino-British Joint Declaration, Mm -hmm. that claims at least for 50 years, Hong Kong people can maintain what what their rights they used to be. And the uh, very capitalist economic system and the rights that we have an independent judiciary, we have our legislative council, we have our own uh, civic society shall be the same, Um, nothing less or nothing worse off than the colonial period. But the point is... uh, the CCP government, the China Communist Party, is literally very creamy. So their style, uh, we, we always have this kind of discussion. They claim we will have one country, two system. Hong Kong is part of China, but we have a totally independent system. We have our own judiciary, but it's getting hollow out. It's like one country, 1.5 system, and eventually will be one country, one system. But nothing from Hong Kong will left. So that's the problem, and it explains a lot why the intervention from the North keeping closer and closer and more uh, deep into our structural system for the uh, um, selections of the uh, High Court Judge, Supreme Court Judge, they have some uh, party members stayed in Hong Kong will comment, we don't like this judge. She uh, She's a feminist. 
It's like this, but it's totally inappropriate, and it won't happen back in the days before the handover to China. They will be have more self awareness to not to intervene too much to Hong Kong affairs, but because they want to make Hong Kong part of or merely a city or money laundering machine for China,、yeah. so they keep intervene our own system and. They have their appointed candidate for the chief executive, which in the、uh, joint declaration they promised Hong Kong people after ten years of handover, we will have our universal suffrage to elect our、uh, chief executive and also the、um, the formation of our legislative council will be through a direct elections, but never happen. It's returned to China for twenty years. So it's been a failure. Of basically, you can claim that the John Declaration hasn't actually transpired in terms of what was promised in that. Yes, and that's the、uh, responsibility for both countries, not just China but also UK. UK is keep silent about, or they don't even do this very superficial thing to like condemn this kind of act. Yeah. They do have this half-year report commenting, "Oh, it's very worrying for Hong Kong's system is being destroyed by tremendous、uh, single events." That it shows the tendency that Hong Kong's human rights or whatever is endangering. But they did nothing. And why? Why do you think that? Like, why? Why do you think that? Uh, UK has its own mess about Brexit thing.、Yeah. They need some trade deals between、yeah. China. And before there is no or very few、uh, scholarship from the FCO in uh, 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 for the Chevening Award. It's like solely for the post-colonial thing or the Commonwealth country. Some of the Commonwealth country that have some relation with UK. But after Xi Jinping, I have a meeting with the Queen. Suddenly, we have seventy-something Chevening scholar from China. So, what's the deal? So it, it sounds to me that、um, in a way the United Kingdom has been reluctant to comment because they may be benefiting from this sort of system between China and Hong Kong. And I, I, I think you are right in saying that China, the, the, the business ties between China and UK, are sort of enhancing that sort of、uh, you know relationship.、Uh, it's sort of benefiting you know the two countries. Totally, that be correct. Yeah. yeah, that's interesting because I because、um, okay. I was thinking about the whole education aspect of it because it、uh, was something we, we were speaking about earlier. So one of the the core aspects of or one of the important aspects of、um, sustainable development um, is um, education. Um, so as well as obviously having the other aspects, you know, parts of,、uh, of for example, economics um, and uh, social aspects of things.、Um, Education aspect is huge in terms of making sure the population has access to education and whatnot, and it's also a way of shaping.、Um, The kind of landscape in terms of how people think. So, since the、uh, you've had、uh, more kind of scholars,、um, scholarship being awarded to、uh, to to China in terms of chevening. Is it chevering or chevening? Chevening. Chevening. I, I know how to say it.、Um, so, do you think,、um, like, <laughs> from your perspective, like, because、um, education has always been a way of、um, almost like 
you know, it's like soft influence, isn't it? So do you think personally, like from what you've seen over the years, like, um, do you think it's been a good thing? And, and I know yourself, you're here on a Chevening scholarship, are you? Yes. Okay. And uh, <laughs> I, I was very lucky. Okay. And how have you found that experience? And do you think um, this is a good thing or? There is almost uh, zero chance for uh, travelers from Hong Kong to have more conversation with traveling scholars from China. There is a very weird system that uh, their uh, foreign affairs officers have very close ties with those traveners. They will organize their own events for Chinese traveners that Hong Kong traveners are not invited and we cannot join and we, we are not informed or not invited to be part of that community. Wow. So, okay, you Chinese government always say you have to be patriotic. We are under the one country. We are both Chinese. We are in the same ethnicity. So why you separate us in this way? Because our difference in ideology or whatever things, there are a handful or a few uh, Chinese entrepreneurs are handpicked by FCO, but half of them are handpicked by Chinese government, as I heard. Mm-hmm. It needs some fact check, but it's very obvious when I've been to the entrepreneurial uh, uh, orientations, you can see two separate groups. Yeah. That is very managed thing, very dominant thing. And I really remember there was a conversation that I uh, have with the uh, Chinese chiffoner and she's studying at RSE. And uh, we have this kind of mingling and uh, networking session talking about social media and about social change and civic society thing. Um, and she keep criticizing the US election. And I say, so what do you think about uh, uh, China's social media, which literally controlled by one government? So is it a perfect harmony? Mm-hmm. And she kept criticizing U.S. and not saying a word about China. And then after this mingling session, we have a drinking reception or thing, and other China entrepreneur came to me. What is your name? Where do you study? What is your subject? I, I feel very weird in this kind of sense. And I say, uh, what? Uh, what's your name and why you're asking me this kind of question? And I say, seriously, we are in a drinking reception. So what is your thoughts towards this China social media or social criticism thing? And she say, oh, you're too serious. It's a scholar's topic. We are in a drinking reception. I say, oh, but you are a chippener. You got FCO's money and study in UK, and you are not going to tell me your thoughts about the Chinese social media. That's that's my answer to your questions. Do I, I do understand they may facing some kind of like an internal conflicts or unknowingly or knowingly there was some kind of surveillance or monitoring among their community but the thing is the creepy thing is in the drinking reception you have a white wine on your hand and you reluctant so reluctant to tell me your thoughts about the social credit system and apparently, you are the elite class. You are bene- you are beneficial from this kind of structural formation. So that's what so-called education might influence to their elite class. Um, actually, talking about social media, um, I'm going to reference something I read on your social media recently. <laughs> 
thought that was interesting. This is one reason I thought it would be good to have you here as well. Um, is it, because I think there was someone that made a comment about China and its progress and its development and how it's, you know, it looks like it's, it's done a great job. Um, and, and, and I know you responded by saying that, well, that's because you don't know what's happening internally. Um, so I thought that that was quite a powerful use of social media because this person was from what we would consider uh, the West or the global North. Yeah, he's and, a Londoner. Yeah, so, and they, and it's almost came across to me like we in, like, let's say, London or in the West or in Europe, we have this rose-tinted uh, view of China to a certain degree in terms of their development, kind of um, progress over the last, you know, 30 or 40 years. So, um, so, do you want to expand on that a bit more um, about that? So, because I, I thought that was interesting, because I, I know you responded with like you should see what's happening internally. So, how how do you view the whole development that's happening in China in in contrast to how we view it in the West? The conversation starts uh, when I uh, go to a book launching event, which is talking about the uh, jeopardy of Xi Jinping's administration. Uh, I, I guess it's Monday. Um, and after that uh, seminar, and uh, there was a guy come and talk to me because I apparently look very Chinese, and, <laughs> and then uh, and he's like, oh, so many Chi Chinese people love Xi Jinping, so he must did something right, so everyone is living better off every year after year, so he must did something right, and I say, bro, that's nothing to do with Xi Jinping a lot, because after the 80s, they have this open market policy. It's what capitalism worked, right? So it's not particularly because of particular politician except Deng Xiaoping, who in, implied this uh, open door policy. So uh, he, he, he's like, oh, he's so popular. Uh, so he, he's highly rated. So he must be, did, uh, he, he must have done something right. And I say, Hitler was highly rated. So how would you comment this? And if you do super surveillance in a very sophisticated way, on the other hand, with a very good sophisticated propaganda system, everyone can be highly rated. So how can you judge from just this, which is like a win for or ever-changing popularity to judge whether some administration is doing a good job? And if you look into their domestic uh, debt and the population problem and the aging problem, can you tell me there is a bright future in such a territory? And the question is, what will happen if there is an economic downturn? And he responds to me, oh, that is a very interesting question. So you, you ask a good question. That is something I've never thought of. So the point is not the propaganda or the facade they are trying to perform in front of the uh, international political scene. But when you track down the facts and try to have a closer look about the uh, distribution of wealth and whatever really happened in the uh, uh, big cities, the problem are very allied to Western countries. But because they don't have a uh, independent media or judiciary system, you can never face or see something real. And this Londoner is saying, oh, uh, everybody loves Xi Jinping. I say, no, at least two million Uyghur in Xinjiang doesn't love him. This modern concentration camp, which named as vocational training camp, is happening. And it's in the middle of the desert. And they can just randomly grab any people they find. They have a very... Uh, 
outputs the video towards the mainstream, then they can just lock them up inside a camp as a educational purpose. So how can you trust any system like this? Thank you for the answer. That's, that's interesting because uh, yeah, um, thank you for your section as well because I know um, we've kind of pushed under the line right there. <laughs> and uh, I think that, that that was a very good uh, end to the, that part of the discussion because I think it goes on to leads on to sustainable development quite nicely because from what you've described, um, it sounds like China is going through a development progress which is very uh, or developmental process which is very similar to what let's say has happened in the West over the course of hundred years or so, or they've done it in a short time span. But is that to what cost? And uh, and a lot of it seems like the progress has been, or development has been, materialistic and on the surface. But underneath, in terms of um, kind of, uh, I guess, uh, when you look at socially and uh, demographically, and, and if you look at um, even the, the happiness index, um, it's probably not in line with what we would, what we were discussing in class and what we would define as sustainable development. Because it only looks at one side of the room, which is econ uh, economics, and that's very much superficial or materialistic. So at this point, I want to open up the discussion, kind of for everyone else. Because um, again, we're going to do our kind of, uh, I guess, broad uh, blue sky thinking or broad thinking, where you know it's a chance for everyone here in the room to kind of say what well, how they feel about development and especially sustainable development, like where any experience they've had or any exposure to what they've had in the past. Um, they they say there is an alternative that is possible. So, for example, in the case of China, what's happening there is there an alternative possible, or do they have to go through that process? You feel to get to maybe sustainable development at some point. Um, and uh, so, yeah. So, I'll open it up. Who wants to say something about what they how they feel about sustainable development as an idea? Well, I was just going to say I think it's interesting um, with China and the role that it's playing in other countries and the kind of infrastructure projects that China's kind of bringing into other countries. Yes. And I think it's, it, it would be interesting to consider, like, the impact of an infrastructure project like the bridge or, like, Manmania and that. And Exactly. As opposed to infrastructure projects happening elsewhere and, like, what the kind of, how, why is that happening differently and, like, what effect those are having in those countries? I don't know, does that... Um, mm -hmm. So like, I think in Africa, are they potentially having, and in the Caribbean, better success? And like, what impact will that then have on like... Yeah, so China? I guess, yeah, because it's basically the bridge itself is like an infrastructure project. So yeah, again, but, at materialistic. but one that potentially doesn't serve the same purpose as an infrastructure project elsewhere. Is that... Yeah, I think. Sorry, I, I think that's a very um, interesting way of looking at it. But also coming back to what uh, Janet mentioned, um, I think it just illustrates that the whole concept of sustainable development sounds good. You know, it's an ambitious goal which sounds really good on paper, but I suppose implementing it can be quite problematic. I mean, if um, from what you're telling me, for example, you've mentioned, uh, you've alluded to sort of the social, the media aspect, how China, from the outside, were able to view it as this great country that's producing a lot of, you know, good things around the world. And, and that's sort of, um, that's also um, something that other people are seeing. However, when you look at the internal side, what's actually going on, it gives a very... Um, different picture you know now i know for certain that um china has got a lot of partnerships in in africa 
and it's got a lot of partnerships, as you mentioned, Tara, in, in Jamaica. But I think the whole concept around development or sustainable development needs to be critically assessed, you know, like what sort of development and at what cost, as, as you mentioned earlier on, uh, Majid, you know, because if you're going to talk about sustainable development, you, you want to look at a better way of doing development. But then what we find is the opposite. It's called sustainable development on paper, but then the implications of it is the cost to human, um, you know, human rights, um, you know, where they can't even have a chance to express themselves on social media. So I, I think it's, it's quite, I, I just wanted to say it's quite an interesting way of, of looking at it because oftentimes we're just seeing the good things that China is doing and or China has got a lot of money and they're giving this money for infrastructure. But we, we need to start questioning um, some of these sort of development agendas. Yeah, because I, I know, because early on, uh, this is before we started recording, um, Andrew, you were speaking about, because um, we're talking about sustainable development and obviously... Um, and how it's very Eurocentric still, and yeah. very uh, much a Western model. And from what you're saying, it's going back to your idea, what you mentioned earlier about kind of um, empowering the locals um, of that particular country or region of the world, and for them to um, develop, uh, which is going to be more sustainable than mm-hmm. someone that's come from the outside. So in terms of your knowledge of what's happening in Africa in relation to Chinese investment, um, um, I've recently, uh, I think I, I think I read or um, talked to someone, and they were saying how Africa is not as imposing as, uh, so for example, the Western model, where they come in and they've uh, promised to invest in infrastructure and they've asked for no political um, influence, basically. Yeah. Um, but obviously, the long-term agenda is good relationships, idealistically. Yeah. So, in terms of your experience of China and the investment from, uh, well, I mean, Africa and investment from China. How, you know, have you seen it as being a productive thing? Has, has, is it different to what we're used to from the Western influences? Um, that's, that's a very good question, but also you know, answering it is not as easy as yes or no. Yeah. Um, the reason is, as, as we've known development in the past, it's always had ideology aligned to it. So usually you see a sort of development where you, know, you have to sort of propel uh, liberal, uh, neoliberal sort of uh, values, mm-hmm. and excuse me. What, what I can say is that that sort of development has been contested from a long, long time ago. I mean, I'm talking as far back as sort of um, the, the the fight to independence. You know, a lot of uh, leaders such as Kwame Nkrumah, Kenneth Kaunda, even uh, Robert Mugabe were actually fighting this sort of liberal type of development. Um, and there's every reason to do that. One, because it was aligned to organizations such as IMF and a lot of uh, African countries actually felt that they were not getting a better deal from the IMF. Uh, one, because of conditions such as uh, structural adjustment programs, which are still being contested. However, China has come on as sort of um, you know, a good and bad thing. Now, this is why I explained that it's quite long because it's a good thing in that they do not tie ideology to development. So it's that link between ideology and development is not sort of, it's not prominent. What China is saying is, you know, what is the sort of infrastructure that you want in Africa? We're going to build it. However, we're not going to tell you, you know, how you actually live your lives. Now, 
you know, that that is a model that's been adopted by a number of African countries. They're getting a lot of uh, financial sort of backing through China. However, the downside is that on the sustenance perspective, um, China is quite reluctant to leave some sort of legacy in these countries. So oftentimes what you find is infrastructure that's built, but because it is built using Chinese labor, because it is built using Chinese systems, soon as that project is completed, the local people do not have any participation in continuing that sort of um, development. So it comes back to the issue of sustainable. How sustainable is it? And I think this is where we're finding this quite problematic. I've answered your... Yeah, no, that's, that's, that's answered it quite nicely because um, it, it's interesting, obviously, like in uh, in the Western model where it's been like uh, there's there's like a catch and the catch is political influence and changing your um, political structures and the Chinese model is very much um, you do what you want and we'll build it and we'll just leave it. Yeah. And then, but once you've left it, maintenance and everything, what happens then? Yeah. Um, so it's almost this... Why they have to export the excessive productivity within the country? Because they, they are chasing this GDP gain. Yeah. And so the uh, steel industry, the concrete industry and the uh, construction industry, they have overproduced everything. So who wants those materials so they invent this belt road project and put everything in the african country so they have a way to sort it out to export the excessive productivity that is nothing to do to trying to uh, bring better life for those related countries or really build a relationship there is a very political and economical agenda behind well uh, it's funny you say that because uh, um, some critics have actually questioned um, what China's end goal is on all this development goal in Africa. I mean, one of the things that's uh, in um, um, you know that's been contested at the moment is uh, how much China is actually benefiting through these uh, what are perceived to be trade deals. Um, one example is um, um, within the sort of. Um, how can I describe it? Within the, um, you know, let's take ivory, for example. Uh, a lot of medication in China depends on ivory. Um, where can we actually source this ivory? It's actually from Africa because Africa has got quite a lot of, um, you know, a lot of uh, uh, elephants and rhinos where we can actually obtain this ivory. So people are beginning to question these things. And I, I think... That is an aspect of development that we, we, we are not sort of seeing as much in the open. Mm-hmm. Um, the other issue that's being contested is um, uh, natural resources. Yes. You know, Definitely. so that's the, that's the thing because they yeah. already consume or overconsume the natural resources in yeah. China. The, the water problem will be a serious problem in just within ten years. Yeah, it's overpolluted, so they have no literally very negative impact towards the next or generation after next. So they try to do it to other country. Yeah. And and, and, and and these are some of these are some of the things that, uh, as as you've pointed out, you know, are happening between Hong Kong and China. I think these are things that we need to start questioning between the sort of trade deals and relationships that we're forming between um, China and Africa, because these are the these all come back to the whole concept of sustainable development. Yeah. Thank you, and thank you much for finishing on that point. We do have to wrap up. Like I said, we don't have as much time as we did last week. Thank you very much, Janet. Thank you very much, Andrew, for that last bit, and thank you. And um, Tara, I don't know why.
Uh, Tara, thank you. Um, but I will. Uh, so you ended on that point of uh, sustainable development because, um, as always, we don't have the answers, but we have more, we have more questions and more interesting discussions to happen. Um, and and I, and I think I will end on the whole notion of, of what sustainable development is from United Nations, um, and which is basically development that meets the needs of the present without compromising the ability of the future generations to meet their own needs, uh, which is obviously still very broad and generic, um, but. China is, it seems like China is in the process of development where it's very aggressive and it's, um, it's not, it's, it doesn't seem like it's very sustainable. Um, so it'd be interesting to see what happens in the coming years. Anyway, again, everyone, thank you very much. And uh, that's it from us. Bye. Thank Bye. you. Bye. -bye.